genius of creation. A study of Genesis chapters 1 to 6 by Brother Paul Cresswell and read by Paul Cresswell. The genius of creation. A narrative from creation to the flood in Genesis 1 to 6. This is too harmonious, grand and overwhelming a universe to believe that it's all an accident. Professor Maurice Schwartz, cited in Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. Preface The Bible record of creation is a work of absolute genius, which when understood will be seen to be far from primitive. Compared to the ancient records of various peoples, the Genesis account is not only unique, it is also believable. This book is written in the hope that it will be read by some who have either been misled by atheists or hover uncertain between creation and evolution. It is also intended to reassure any believer in creation and strengthen their faith in the inspired Word of God, the Bible. The amazing book we call the Bible begins with the words, In the beginning God created, and ends with the word, Amen. Not until that final Amen can it be said the creation is truly completed and God's purpose fulfilled. In other words, the creation record is an essential part of God's plan of salvation. It is confirmed so many times in the ensuing books of the Bible that it is the springboard for many of God's teachings that are enlarged upon as we continue reading right to the end of the 66 books that comprise the Bible. So we begin with creation in Genesis chapter 1 and continue to the flood, which is recorded from Genesis chapter 6. At the start of the creation week, the earth is covered with water and void of life. The flood, which occurred about 1600 to 1700 years later, again covered the earth with water, so that the earth became void of life again, except for fish, the sea creatures, and for eight persons and those animals and birds collected in the ark. Here is a whole cycle of life and death, a microcosm of life, a beginning and an end as a sign to us living in this godless world. These first six chapters are the foundation of all that follows. Therefore, we will follow through the Bible many of the ideas that flow from the first chapters to see how themes are developing for our understanding. We will see the amazing harmony of the scriptures to be convinced of the divine inspiration behind what is written, that faith may be confirmed and developed in the reader. And no. This is not just another book on the creation-evolution debate. Apart from a few comments below, this book is intended to draw out to the true meaning and wonder of the first six chapters of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Understanding what God has caused to be written is the strongest answer to men's theories. 
even though their theories may be expressed in confident and complex language. As far as evolution is concerned, after more than 40 years reading books and articles on the subject, I, as many others, have concluded that no truly scientific proof of evolution exists, despite claims to the contrary. For a scientific theory to be accepted as true, it must be replicated experimentally. This replication has not been done and cannot be done. Let me cite just three scientists working in the field of evolution. Evolution by natural selection is not strictly speaking scientific because it is established by logical deduction rather than empirical demonstration. This from a British Museum brochure, the Darwin Exhibition of 1981. Colin Patterson, FRS, I will lay it on the line. There is not one fossil, a fossil which is ancestral or transitional, for which one could make a watertight argument. Cited by John C. Lennox in God's Undertaker, has science buried God? Page 115. We paleontologists have said that the history of life supports the story of adoptive change, knowing all the time that it does not. Niles Eldridge, curator, Invertebrate Paleontology, American Museum of Natural History, opposite page 114. Evolution has been summarised as nothing plus nobody equals everything. Now, that really would be a miracle. Rabbi Yehuda Halevi is reputed to have said, Beware of the wisdom of Greece, for it has no fruit, only flowers. Similarly, atheism may look attractive, but it gives no purpose to life. It has no answer to death. It holds out no hope. It ends in the grave. Whereas God holds before us the joy of a time when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2 verse 14. With the Lord Jesus Christ we can say, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Luke 10, verse 21. Of course, many will prefer to believe that evolution occurred, however weak the evidence for it, because, as the Apostle Peter said, for this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. The second epistle of Peter, chapter 3, verse 5. But the fact remains, God, through his word, the Bible, recovers men and women's lives broken and shattered by sin whereas atheism, with its doctrine of evolution, can save no one, only destroy. Of course, creation cannot yet be proved either. We cannot replicate it, though the evidence for it is overwhelming. 
This book is an introduction to that evidence. Evolutionists frequently say that they believe evolution because the alternative is unthinkable. Through observation of the incredible range and complexity of life around us, I believe creation because the alternatives to creation is unthinkable. A far stronger case can be made for creation than for evolution. May the Creator grant to the reader understanding and wisdom. Prologue the first and last books of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation, have suffered more attempts to discredit them than any of the others. Genesis by evolutionary atheists and Revelation by church leaders because it is said to be too mysterious. In fact, Genesis and Revelation are probably the two most important books of the Bible. Genesis in particular is the essential foundation upon which true understanding of the whole Bible is based, while understanding Revelation will keep us sound in doctrine by showing us the errors of the age in which a believer happens to live. If we start at the beginning of the Bible, take what is written and eschew, or at least consider with caution what is not written, a wonderful story unfolds that is at once dramatic, satisfying, and above all, a story full of hope. God's Purpose So we ask, what is God's purpose? The Bible answers, to fill the earth with his glory through men and women who reflect his glorious character. And despite mankind's near total failure so far, God's purpose still stands, for he has sworn by himself, as truly as I live, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Numbers 14 verse 21. Consequently, the Bible finishes with a wonderful and glorious fulfilment of the creation story. The final denouement will begin soon with the coming of the Lord to judge the wicked and establish his kingdom on earth and end after another 1,000 years with the earth full of his glory. As we read the Bible account of creation in the book of Genesis, we'll see that it is not just a, this is what happened, and once that's out of the way we can get on with the real story. It is a grand and striking beginning to God's book. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. No other book ever written begins with such grandeur and import. Indeed, the whole of the creation account, far from being primitive, is uh, the masterpiece of all prose and key to the whole plan of God, a classic writing beyond compare. Evolutionary ideas are written in terms of it may be that, or it is thought that, or perhaps, expressions that indicate speculation, not scientific fact. On the other hand, the Bible is absolutely authoritative. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, or Let there be light, and there was light, or It is written. 
There was an all-wise, all-powerful intelligence possessing in himself the focalized power of the universe and capable of imparting that initiative power that is required for the explanation of what we see. While the Darwinian theory gives us external force without wisdom or will to do a thing which required both in their supremest form. Robert Roberts' Visible Hand of God, page 12. When Genesis 1 is put alongside the stories and creation records of other tribes around the world, both ancient and modern, this Hebrew record stands out as being totally unique. One is left with the impression that the ancient writer must have been inspired, as he certainly was. This could only be the inspired record of the architect and builder who planned it all and brought the universe and life into being. But beware. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, begins with God and ends with a coffin in Egypt. It is a true record of the folly of mankind who will not Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. In allowing God's written word to tell us what he did and how he did it, we must not be distracted by the ideas, however forcefully pressed, put forward by those who weren't there, and therefore can only guess what happened. Strangely, there is one thing upon which both the Bible and evolutionists agree. There was a beginning. Atheists don't have to agree that there was a beginning, but despite themselves, such a conclusion is forced upon them by the evidence. They say that before there was anything else, there were quantum fluctuations, that is, laws of gravity. Science says that these laws of gravity predate the universe. Though not intended, that's another way of saying that God existed before anything else. Even more telling, evolutionary scientists now tell us that all mankind is descended from one woman whom they call mitochondrial Eve. These evolutionary theorists do not say that there was only one woman existing at the time, and there are other differences to the creation account in the Bible, but nevertheless, to say that all come from Eve is a remarkable statement. There is also Y-chromosomal Adam, from whom male DNA, and therefore all males, are said to be inherited. For more information, see Wikipedia or similar. Theistic evolution sometimes put forward the idea that men and women, male and female hominids, evolved over millions of years, and then God made the first human pair exactly the same, so that intermarriage occurred and one cannot tell the difference between them. The Bible knows nothing of this totally illogical invention. Why would evolution of men and women occur over millions of years, and then God made the same creatures in one day? In any case, the Genesis record says that the earth was void of human or any other kind of life before God began to fill the earth, and adds, 
there was not a man to till the ground. Genesis 1 verse 2 and 2 verse 5. The Apostle Paul adds, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. He also says, quoting the Greek poet Aratus, We are also his God's offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, in Acts 17, verse 28 and 29. We either accept the Bible as true or we must abandon it altogether. There is no middle ground. As the Bible says, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions or machinations. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 As the years pass, the theories of how evolution worked have been constantly changing. What was once accepted has fallen by the wayside as new theories are developed. It seems strange that so many found their lives upon such shifting sands that are ever moving in a flood of theories. We must be based on the rock of God's word. As for ourselves, our ideas must be firmly based on the rock of God's word, Lest we get carried away by our own or another's theories, we have a sensible limitation set for us at the end of the last book of the Bible. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add to the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree, margin, of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. We must not be wise above that which is written. Let us see the glory of God in his creation, and give him the praise due to him. Before commencing to discuss the account of creation, let me make an important point about the Bible. The Bible cannot be read like a novel. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honour of kings is to search out a matter, we read in Proverbs 25 verse 2. This is where some modern translations of the Bible, easily read and requiring little effort to understand, miss the essential depth of ideas that bring mental development. The Bible is not a product of men's minds. It is a product of God's mind, which is so much higher than ours. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9. Every serious Bible reader knows this to be true. Nevertheless, God has made our brains and has matched his word to our abilities to understand. He rightly expects that we must make an effort and exercise our God-given abilities to lift our minds above the ordinary level of human life 
We must reach for the higher spiritual plane of what he has revealed for our learning and wisdom. The Bible can be understood on different levels. There is the immediate level of what has happened in history and what is to happen in the future. And then there are the spiritual, we might say, moral lessons that lie on a higher plane altogether, but are not ambiguous to the thoughtful, prayerful reader. In this book I intend to develop some of these deeper truths as an illustration of the divine inspiration and overall harmony of the 66 books of the Bible. These themes will not be fully developed. No one is able to do that but point out to the reader where fruitful study will enable spiritual growth that is exciting and lead the reader to know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he hath sent unto life eternal. These are the words of Christ from John 17 verse 3. In other words, to become wise unto salvation. Above this spiritual level is another which at the present time may be only occasionally glimpsed, but will be revealed to us by Jesus Christ when he comes again. As God said through Moses, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 We cannot know more than God has revealed until he reveals it. This may not fit well with human pride, but it is a truth nonetheless. Dennis Skillet wrote, I happen to believe that every discovery by man is a revelation by God. That is to say, men discover what God is ready to allow them to know at a set time according to his purpose. Now whilst this statement is true, he is Lord of all, only men who are truly humble will be able to accept it. After all, the practical meaning of the word humility is that we are teachable. An illustration of this last point is given by Luke in the New Testament when he writes that the resurrected Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus spoke of his suffering to two of his disciples, saying, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament was not then written, the things concerning himself. The reaction of the two disciples was, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Luke 24 verse 32. You might ask, why should this be so? It is to make us deeply conscious of the power and omniscience of God, so that we will in faith and wisdom trust our lives to him completely. Our example here is Moses, the writer of Genesis, of whom it is written, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Hebrews 11 verse 27 Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, 
that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, by the Spirit-inspired word of God, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, says Paul in the first of Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. May the Lord bless the reader in his search for truth, understanding and wisdom. Mm -hmm.